Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Um, for the reading of God's word, this is something we do at Missio Day just to uh, remind ourselves that we stand um, in awe of God's word and that it has uh, power for us in our life as a community. Um, so uh, we're going through the Gospel of Mark if you're new with us, and this week we are in Mark 5. Uh, Mark 5. Verse 1, they came, they, Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, the demons, begged him. Jesus said, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was, it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had the possessed possession with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him to be with him, but said, go, tell your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The word of the Lord. All right, if you're new to Missio Dei, um, Bible always makes really good sense. Super clear. Just read it. You'll understand it. I promise. Yeah. Um, No, sometimes it's confusing. So uh, let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you um, that you are here. Uh, We thank you that you uh, want to, Lord, uh, bind up the brokenhearted, Some of you are here this morning. We know that you want to free those who are captive. Again, some of you are here this morning, and you want to comfort all who mourn. Some of you are here this morning. You want to give us a garment of praise and beauty and joy, and that's why we're here, because we want to experience your joy and beauty and freedom, that you would see us in our the dignity that you made us with, God, that we would all step into the love and beauty that you see us with. And you would set us free. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, so as you saw in that passage, uh, again, if you're new with us, we don't always talk about crazy stuff in the scriptures, but we go through the Bible chapter by chapter in this book of Mark. And today uh, we come upon this passage in which Jesus encounters a demon-oppressed man. And so we're going to talk about demon oppression today. Yay! Everyone's favorite topic. Um, and so I just ask that you would, uh, if, if things of supernatural 
Um, if that brings a lot of doubt or fear, or uh, would you just encourage you to challenge you to suspend your judgment um, or suspend your doubt for just a moment? Um, and I want to put this out there that today um, I just want a couple of things in our prayer time. Just thinking of reminding ourselves that this is uh, we are not a museum of saints. This is not a, a a museum of people that have it together. Like this is a hospital. Like when you come to church, like you're not coming to like put on your best and come to this museum and see these amazing people. You're coming to a hospital. When you're around a hospital, you walk around and you see everybody like there to get help. You never, no one's judging anybody else's help. So I think it's just a really important to remind ourselves that we're all here um, in need of God. Um, we all here um, who are helpless without God. Um, that's what this community is. It is okay to not be okay here. Um, and that, that we just have to say that and remind ourselves because church culturally from the West is a place where you come on and you kind of put on some kind of facade as if you have it all together. Um, but this is a place where anyone's welcome. And if you're anyone's here um, who, um, I just want to put this out there. If you're wrestling with something you just can't seem to get free from, I just want to tell you that it is God's heart this morning that he set you free. Amen? Um, and so I want to um, just begin talking about uh, this passage in deliverance. We're just going to jump in. I had like 30 pages of notes, and I'm, I feel like I have like 10 different sermons in my head, so I feel like I'm just going to need you to pray for me and give me some grace, if anything, that doesn't make sense. Um, so uh, first of all, I just want to talk about um, the supernatural world. Uh, first of all, this is like needs like a whole sermon of itself, but we did a sermon series on spiritual warfare. So if you go back on our podcast, there's like five sermons on spiritual warfare called Kingdoms in Conflict. Great introduction to the day. But I do want to just say that um, uh, we must acknowledge that there's like evil in the world, and more and more, um, whether you're a Christian or someone who doesn't believe, the line between just excusing things as psychological or sociological and dismissing something is like, ev- we don't like the word evil, but more and more, everyone in the world is starting to realize there's, we've got to start calling some things that are just evil. Um, so no matter who you are, I think we can all agree that there's evil in the world. Um, and I think it's uh, pretty clear that, that in this passage, Jesus encounters something evil. And so I get a little nervous when I talk about you know, this kind of stuff, it's hard because there's just so many broad strokes that I'm trying to, to talk to. It's impossible to do a broad sermon about demon oppression and, um, and explain away things. And, um, but I, I think there's, because it's so confusing between demon oppression, mental illness, trauma. Um, but what I do believe is we actually do still have demonic forces at work today, and we just find it more uncomfortable to talk about things in medical and scientific terms to describe the things that own us. Um, and not, so, I, so not all things are demonic, right? Like some, some of you just may have the flu, right? And that's not demonic. But all things are spiritual, right? Um, does, that make any, does that make any sense so far? Like there's a spiritual component to everything. Um, and so we've got to open our minds to the fact that the invisible world uh, is at work between the visible and that when we have problems in the physical, um, there's often connection to uh, the spiritual uh, and more and more uh, researchers are beginning to realize that it's not, we can't just uh, medicate everything at the same time. Sometimes you just need medicine, right? Sometimes you need, your serotonin levels are off balance, you know, and you need, to, you need medicine for that. Sometimes, you know, you need heart surgery. Um, we don't go like, oh, demon possessed, like heart surgery. No, you just need to have open bypass surgery. Um, and um, now some of those choices may have been, anyway, demonically influenced. It's a, it's, it's a, it just goes down a rabbit trail every time we talk about this. But it's really hard. But I want to say a couple of things here um, before.
before I get going on this. Um, one is this, that uh, the Western world, we kind of have a natural cause and scientific explanation for everything. So crime, greed, racism, um, we see it as like it has a cause, just a social system or a bad upbringing, and then therefore we can fix it. And it helps us in our Western worldview to have the savior complex that now that we have this clear uh, answer, we can fix it. Um, Andrew Del Banco, he's a scholar from Columbia University who calls himself a secular uh, uh, liberal. Um, I just want to say this, like that someone that from Columbia can say this, I think we as Christians by all means should affirm the supernatural. He says that um, a gulf, his opening book, a sentence to a death of Satan, says a gulf has opened in our culture between the visible of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. He goes on to say that we don't like to use the word evil because it implies value judgments and moral absolutes. We use medical terminology, dysfunction, pathology. Today has gotten harder and harder to say the Holocaust, ethnic cleansing, and serial killing is just bad sociology or, or psycho, psychological adjustment, right? It's, it, we can't just no longer say these things are just, oh, well, that's just that not to see the, 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 the demonic power of racism that has been perpetuated through instruments of power um, throughout the century of America. To say that it doesn't have demonic stronghold at its core, I don't know, if that's not evil, I don't know what is. To say that there's a narrative of racial difference, that because you are white, you are morally superior or you are superior to another race, if that's not demonic, I don't know what is. Um, so we, we have to acknowledge that there's, there's demonic forces in our world. Now, I, I, you got to think about this. Have you ever thought about this? A um, couple of things. If you struggle to believe in Satan, can I just suggest a couple of things? You may be being too simplistic. Um, by not recognizing spiritual dimensions uh, to human evil, you may be seeing humanity, anthropology, sociology way too simplistically, as if there's just one answer to our complex humanity. Um, two, if you struggle to believe in a, uh, evil or Satan or his demons, um, you may be culturally narrow. Um, this is not something that Latin America, Africa, Asia have typically a problem with. Um, so maybe that we are being narrow in our Western worldview. And thirdly, if you believe in God, you believe in a supernatural being. It's inconsistent to believe in a good, powerful, personal being and not believe in a bad, personal being. Um, but we do know that God has control and has conquered Satan, um, but yet he still allows his, his, his being and his, his enemy demons to exist. So um, I just want to say those things. Um, and, and, and this is the thing that blows my mind. Have you ever thought about this? That what if the Western world is the devil's strategy? <laughs> well, think about this. Like, we don't recognize any of this in our world, but everybody else does. I mean, just think, and so what is, what, is the, what, what is America known for? What is America known for across the world? Just anybody. Money, racism, power. What else? Control. Freedom, to some. No, but so, so, but look, money, greed, power, racism, what, what else is, like, these are all ways that Satan can hide. Um, so the enemy, the, what, what demons do is they, you know, we have this idea of demonic uh, things as like we've, we've been way too uh, discipled by movies. We see this exorcism with spinning heads and screaming and convulsions and we're going to get into that and talk about that. But the deal is, is, is that what the enemy wants to do is to deceive. Like, there's a reason why when the ancient world had seven deadly sins, do you know what the two that weren't on there? Deception and fear. 
because that's what rules the world. That's where Satan likes to hide. Um, in, in, in our world, in the Western world, I, I feel that like he, he loves to uh, connect to these, these institutions, these forms. He has, uh, demons have to embody some, uh, connect themselves to something. They can't just be floating around. So they, uh, we're, I'm getting way ahead of myself. They connect themselves to, to institutions, um, to, pe- to people, um, to structures. So um, just a couple of things there. All right, so that was my introduction I forgot to put on here. Um, but as we talk about this, uh, what... I want to say this, that uh, there's a couple of myths, too, that I want to dispel. Myth number one is being delivered from um, any kind of demonic influence. Uh, There's a myth out there that if you don't get delivered, it's because you don't have enough faith. Um, I just want to dispel that that that's not true. Um, There's plenty of instances where people are delivered in Scripture that did not have faith and do have faith. Um, So that's not helpful or true. Um, So just as last week, we have to have a theology of suffering. Uh, we have to have a theology uh, that we will, Jesus promised you will have persecution in this world. He promised us three things. He'll be with us forever, you'll have abundant life, and you'll, you will have trouble. Um, so there's the only thing, three things. If you can think of anything else that Jesus promised us that doesn't fit in those three categories, let me know. I haven't found it. Um, but he always promises those three things. Um, second, um, we need to dispel the myth that mental illness is caused by demonic oppression or possession. Um, now, things, not all, again, not all things are demonic. Um, but we, we want to include spiritual warfare to cover our basis um, when, we, when we are encountering things. So some churches can assume that all mental illness is caused by this. Um, there's this stigma in the church because some people think um, that those who have mental illness have d- demons and they have no room in their thinking for biochemistry related to mental illness. Um, and what this does in the church is it causes anybody here who is um, on any kind of medication for mental health to hide. Um, how many of you feel, I imagine, I'm not even going to take a poll, but I imagine many of you who are taking medication would be scared to death to tell some Christians in this room that you're taking that medication. I see a couple of head nods. Because we've created this sense that like there's a little bit of, uh, when we start to talk about demons, we begin to categorize it culturally and begin to like, it, it can, it can sh- you be used as, a, as an instrument of power and shame. Um, but the deal is, is all of us are being influenced by all of us are open to demonic influence, okay? Like, we need to normalize this. That's what I'm saying. We need to stop making this this extreme thing and realize that, like, um, we need to normalize the fact that every single one of us are open to the lies of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy, to, to the, the chaos of the enemy. Um, no one is exempt here, myself included. Um, if, if not even more so, me. Um, so I'm going to go all over the place. I'm just going to... Can I just talk from the... All right. So... <laughs> What, what I've learned as I've studied and trying to learn is what the demonic always does is it connects itself to uh, places of power. Um, so if anybody is going to be uh, attacked, it's going to be me, where um, right now I have a lot of power. Um, everybody has power. God made us with power. Um, power is not a bad thing in and of itself. Um, it's, it's, it's useful, um, and it can be used to protect and, and, and use for good. But often the, th- the people that are most susceptible to the demonic influence is things of power. So institutions, um, uh, uh, any kind of uh, the government structures. Um, I'm a white male who now has, I have cultural power. Um, I have right now verbal power because I'm the one speaking to you. You're all listening to me. This is weird. I, this is weird that I get to talk to you and you listen to me. This is a weird thing. Um, I have uh, emotional power. Like I get to, um, preaching is a, is a form of wanting to persuade you to good. Um, so even right now, I carry a ton of power. Um, so in, in, anywhere there's power, um, we all have power. There's, there, the fact that we live in a culture, there's cultural power at work right now on all of us that we see 
We can't see the culture we swim in. Um, and that all those forms of power, whenever there is a power dynamic, there is a, an open door for the enemy to attach itself to. Does that make sense? And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's where, where we begin to use control um, and harm, um, even a parental. How many parents know that when you're weak and insecure and you've had it, you know you have the power to bless or to harm your child. And you know that we've all made the mistake of harming our child, right? There, whenever we have power, there's this opportunity to either um, harm or to do good. And so that's what the enemy likes to do. Um, uh, okay, so demon possession, real quick. Demon possession is very rare. Um, may, maybe some of you will experience a demon-possessed person once in their entire lifetime. The word possession is actually not in Scripture. Um, it, is, it is the word demonization. Um, so uh, you should see this as much more of a continuum um, uh, rather than, uh, than like this, this, this like always possessed type thing. Um, the only time we see demon possession in Scripture is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and we don't see it in the New Testament. So even in the New, Te- in the New Testament epistles. So even then, uh, dealing with demonic-possessed people was probably extremely rare, not something that the early church was having to work through. Um, and so that is a very rare thing. But the, what that, that shows is uh, the end goal, what demon possession should show you, what you should take away from that is the end goal is to control you. Um, the, the, the enemy's desire is to control you. Um, to control you, to bring addiction, to bring bad habits, to bring, um, to control you, to use uh, things done to you that were evil, to then control your narrative. Um, the end goal of the enemy is to do violence to yourself, um, to self-harm. And so, um, second, the third myth, um, de- demons, um, a myth that demons can be controlled, uh, can control a believer. That's not true. There's no examples of demon possession of a believer. You are, in fact, possessed by the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, I do not believe that you can be possessed by the enemy. You can be influenced. um, You can be uh, under the influence or under the the, great... You can maybe be temporarily um, taken part of or or strongly influenced, but not controlled. Does that make any sense? Is that cool? I don't know where... Some of you may agree, disagree. This is just me. I'm not speaking. This is just me speaking here. Um, So let's just dive in. Mark 5. Um, Mark 5, Jesus' ministry with this man. So... um, we're going to do this by a couple of chapters. Chapter 1 is the other side, all right? So it says that they went from the... Remember last week, they were going through the storm, uh, this storm uh, that, that represented uh, a sense of, of chaos. Um, storms at that time actually um, were, were symbolic. Uh, seas actually were symbolic for evil. That's why in Revelation 21, it says that in the end, there will be no sea because the sea is symbolic of disorder, chaos, and non-being. And Jesus and the disciples emerge from the sea at the beginning of this passage, and they, they are met immediately on this other side um, was the Decapolis. The Decapolis, this area, was known as the unclean world. Um, these young Jewish boys were basically probably told, like, never, ever go over there. Like, that whole area is unclean. Um, and so they were told, this is an area that is unclean, never go there. Um, and they emerge, and they get out, and this giant storm tries to kill them first. And then Jesus immediately is met with this man um, who is, uh, has many unclean or, or evil spirits that have tormented him. Um, now, just imagine what Mark is trying to paint. Um, Jesus is in, a, is in a place that Jews considered as completely unclean. Um, not only that, w- notice this guy. Um, the community is trying to tr- uh, go to the next slide. 
It says that uh, this man, that, uh, so immediately they met him there. He was out living in the tombs. Um, so he's like living in isolation. Um, I, don't, I can't imagine uh, what all happened here, but I imagine that this person is a victim of oppression society, uh, so, so socially and culturally. Um, and then and somehow in that oppression, in that marginalization, has also done, um, has responsibility for the self-harm um, that he's done. So he's living in the tombs. He's living in isolation with an unclean spirit. Uh, no one could bind him anymore, not even one chain. So they since um, tried to institutionalize him, would probably be modern day terms for us. They've tried to bound him. Um, they've tried to control him. Um, but it, again, remember what we said that the enemy's job was to do? Control. What is this culture trying to do to this man? Control. Um, and so he broke the shackles to pieces. No one could do him. Night and day among the tombs, um, three times letting us know that he's living in the tombs among the dead things. Um, and he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Um, this would be the modern, guy, modern day. This would be the, like the guy, like you're walking down the street and your parents, when you're a kid, were like, hey, let's walk to this other side of the street because we see this person coming, right? Um, this would have been like, you know, I mean, they would have called this person a madman. Um, uh, what's, what's interesting is that he looks like the freest person imaginable, but the inability to be confined also shows that he's, um, in fact, not free at all and enslaved. Um, he's held hostage by evil. Um, it's interesting that, uh, you go to the next slide. It says, uh, one more. Um, so then it says he fell down before him, and, and this man, um, Jesus doesn't speak to this man directly. Um, he's, he, he probably wishes he could, um, but he speaks to the demonic uh, that is a part of this man. Um, so um, I just wanted to pause there, this here for a minute. What is amazing is Jesus sees this man's great worth. Like Jesus didn't see this guy as like a problem. Um, he didn't see this as, a, as an issue to solve. He didn't see this as an experiment. Um, he saw this great worth and dignity of this man so much um, that he realized he could not speak for himself, um, and he wanted to set him free. I mean, he, he, he saw this man as someone with, with great compassion to restore his humanity, um, to help him get to know himself very well, to be seen. He's trying to help this man be seen, be heard, be restored to community, um, be cared for in a way that no one else would. Um, and Jesus has seen the dark side in such a way that he can appreciate the glory of life. And unless you know the dark side, you cannot appreciate the glory of life. And so um, I love this, like, there's this human connection with Jesus with this man. Um, and I love, like, I think, like, Jesus says to this man, um, like, uh, uh, what this man, like, probably would have wanted to said to this thing attacking him um, and setting him free. Uh, and so we see that Jesus is, is restoring great worth to this man. Um, oh, man, like, we, we've got to see this. That, like, this is our job as Christians, people. Like, our job as Christians is to see people such great dignity, such great worth, no matter what they've been oppressed by or pressed down from or, or, or faced, that they are someone with great dignity to be loved, that we should be going to the other side Loving people who've gone through a tragedy, gone through horrific things, um, either, either evil done to them, either tragedy bringers who are bringing tragedy and perpetuating evil, or tragedy bearers who are bearing tragedy um, and, 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 and taking on that kind of tragedy. Now, um, next we see Jesus and the engagement with the enemy. Um, so uh, go back one more slide. Um, 
to chapter, like verse 6. Yeah, there we go. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he fell down before him, crying out loud, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? This was the, 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 the demon, demonic speaking. Son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Um, so um, uh, Jesus said, come out of uh, this, man, this man, you unclean spirit. Um, notice that, uh, that, that Jesus almost does a, like, uh, the demon almost tries to exercise Jesus in a sense. Um, he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, someone most high guy? I adjure you by God. See, he commands him, don't torment me. It's like the demonic is trying to command Jesus, and Jesus actually flips it and begins to command uh, the demon. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, and then he says, uh, says his name. Um, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, there's a lot of interesting things going on here. Legion um, was, uh, there's like a double meaning happening here. Um, it was a Legion was a word used for 6,000 Roman military soldiers. Um, so this area that is being culture that is, is, is oppressing, um, is culture that is conquering, uh, that is controlling. Um, there's demonic representation happening among this culture, not just individually, but collective of what was ha- What Jesus is saying, doing here is he's addressing not just an individual, but a collective region um, that has been impacted by darkness. Um, at this time in history, the 10th region from Rome um, had been stand- established and was called uh, Legion as well. So, uh, verse 10, and it says, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding them on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. If you're new to the Missio Day, welcome. We do this every, every week. Next week, we're going to talk about happiness, how Jesus, <laughs> Jesus makes your ha- life the best life now. It's all sarcasm, by the way, sorry. Um, the herdsmen uh, fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what has happened there. And so... Um, it's also interesting that the, this is crazy, that symbol, the, the Roman uh, legion um, army of 6,000, guess what their symbol was? On, I, have a, I, didn't, I didn't have a picture up here, but I have one if you want it. It was a wild boar. Um, so there's like this, these crazy connections. Um, so we, we look at the pigs. Everybody, every time I teach on this, we just want to talk about the pigs. Um, they're like, what's happening with the pigs? I love bacon. Why is Jesus destroying like 2,000 pounds of bacon? Like what's happening here? Like, what is wrong with bacon? I like bacon. So um, vegetarians say amen. Um, but uh, there's not a lot of consensus here. Um, like these people weren't thinking about animal rights, all right? I just want you know, I know in our modern sensibilities, that's what we think of. They were thinking about their money. Um, this was a great source of, um, they actually, uh, most scholars believe that, see that uh, in this area, um, the pagan gods, um, the animal of choice of sacrifice to the pagan gods was, was pigs. Um, so there was an entire economy built around this sacrificial system to these pagan gods. And what Jesus is doing is he's messing with their economy, messing with their false religion, and messing with the fact that their, their consumerism, their capitalistic society is connected um, to evil. And anybody want to say amen to that? Um, we're all guilty. We're all in this culture swimming. Um, but Jesus doesn't send the pigs off the cliff. I just want you to think about this. Um, you just need to know, um, he does not send the pigs off the cliff. Jesus sends the demons into the pigs, and the demons are the one that caused the kamikaze swine. 
Um, this is not, this is not uh, Jesus here killing animals. Um, Jesus is only allowing um, these, these enemies. I mean, demons have to have a, something to connect to. They can't just be disembodied roaming around. So they have to connect themselves to something um, according to script, what we see in Scripture. Um, and so I think what, what, no matter what the interpretations are of this, um, we can see this. All the worth and financial wealth of one region is not worth one soul. That all the financial wealth and gain of this region is not worth the one soul of this man to be set free. Um, and so uh, they were upset. Very, it, says, it says later that uh, they told the, the people came and saw what happened, verse 15, and they came to Jesus saw the demon-possessed man in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid, one, because this man was in his right mind. They're also afraid because they just lost all their wealth. That all their economic gain was, 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 gone, that it was gone. Their whole system was being destroyed. Um, and so he was clothed in his right man, mind, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus, leave this region. Like, you are messing with our system. You are messing with our systemic problem that we don't want to have messed with. And he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been possessed with demons said, like, I just want to stay with you, Jesus. Um, and then um, he said, I just want to be with you. Next slide. And he did not permit him to be with him. And he said, go home, tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. By the way, Mark chapter 1, what is Jesus' call to the disciples? Be with me um, and cast out demons and do ministry. What does this man do? I just want to be with you. I've been set free, and now I'm going to go do ministry. I'm going to go tell this whole region about Jesus. So go home to your friends and tell them how. So the whole point of what Mark is trying to get is this man is the first apostle to the Gentile world. Can you believe that? Now, how many of us think, oh, man, if you're going to like, if we're going to have someone, man, we just second guess people so much. We, we have so many different um, levels of power that we've used to, to manage people. How many of us would be like, yeah, you know what? First person set free from, from this addiction, go forth. Like, go be our greatest apostle right now. Like, just you're free. You're good. You're ready. <laughs> we would never do that. This man right here has, got, has such great compassion on him, such great. Now, I understand there's, there's, there's like processes to restoration. I'm not being naive in that. What I'm trying to show you is like we dismiss what God can do. We dismiss what the, it, we, we, we put labels of inadequacy on people. And yet God says, I can, I'm going to use this man to be the first apostle to the Gentile world. What's amazing is the next chapter um, Jesus, thousands of people from this region come approaching Jesus. Why? Because of this guy's testimony. And, and then no, the disciples only call Jesus the Son of God in Mark chapter 8. This guy gets it in Mark 5, way before the disciples ever get it. And even when the disciples get it, Jesus is like, yeah, you didn't get this by the Spirit. Like, you just kind of guessed it. <laughs> and like, and like the, he, this guy gets that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the first apostle. And what this shows is a breakthrough in an individual can do a breakthrough in a community. That if God is breaking through in your life, he can use your story to break through in this whole community, in this city. That a breakthrough in your life and you being set free, we need to hear your stories. We need to hear your stories of being set free. We need to hear your stories of deliverance. We need to hear your stories of faith that, that God has brought you from. Now, um, now that's the story. All right, so let me just dive into a couple of, um, I'm, I'm imagining there's probably a few thoughts running through your head. Number one, suspicion. Um, you probably have suspicion um, about demonic things in a culture like ours. Um, I love that Jesus did that then, but like now this often like has nothing to do with our discipleship today. 
right? We don't talk, I mean, I'm, I'm myself included. I haven't been thinking about spiritual warfare for weeks. Did a whole sermon series on it. Now I'm coming to this passage like, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting that there's like real spiritual forces out there. I, I keep being discipled by my culture um, more than anything else. Secondly, some of you may be just feeling fear. Um, you may be fearful that God could use you like this. Um, or inadequacy that God could use you to set others free. Um, others of you are like, man, I want that. Um, that like, I want to be used like that. I want to be set free. I want to be set free from bondage. And Jesus' heart is, he loves places like this. He loves to go to the dark places. And the darkness doesn't like it. They're like, we're afraid. Get out of here. We don't want you in here. Whenever the light comes in, the darkness doesn't like it. And um, I just want to, before I can move any further, I want to just talk about a few ways we open ourselves up to evil. And this is really complex. I'm just going to do my best. Um, because I, I think we've, we've got de- to gotta demystify and normalize this and remove um, any kind of sense of shame of like recognizing ourselves that we are powerless and can be influenced. Um, uh, so how do we open ourselves up from this? Just historically, some of this is like really old school but simple, but like false religions and the occult. Um, just want to say it out loud that like this man cutting himself, cut it, cutting himself in the tombs, that goes all the way back to uh, appeasing a false religion and the angry of the gods and that blood, the more you cut yourself, that appeases the gods. I'm not saying that that's why anyone in here would be cutting, and I know there's people in here who may be self-harming themselves. I'm just saying that this is like goes way back connected um, to stuff like this. Um, anything, the cold is anything that connects you to darkness. Um, anything that you're like intentionally trying to be connected to darkness. Um, second, um, again, like this is just, some of these things are personal, um, script that are just biblical. Um, unrighteous anger, right? Ephesians 5, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and if you do, you're giving the enemy a foothold. Anytime, there's righteous anger, which is good, ang- outraged at injustice, but uh, a habitual unrighteous anger is opening ourselves up to enemy. Um, number three, systemic powers in our world. Actually, throughout Paul's writings, he, doesn't, he calls these principalities, he just calls them powers. He just calls this, this, this evil power. So racism, Racism, like this fact that this disembodied spirits attach themselves to people and institutions. I mean, I can't think of what, like, if we can't even have a five-minute conversation about race and, and, and not start disagreeing as a country. I mean, that, that, that's, a, a, that's evil that has uh, been passed down from generation to generation that we begin to believe, that we live in a culture that continue to perpetuate uh, these lies. Um, so racism... Um, is another systemic power. Another systemic power is sexual exploitation. Um, oh my gosh, the stories this year of sexual abuse from people in power, clergy, leaders of CEOs, um, institutions. Um, again, enemy wants to t- attach itself to power. Think about the sex trafficking, trafficking industry. Think about the pornography industry. These are all ways that, um, that we open ourselves to evil. Um, and then three, I've gotten into this a lot, but um, being victims of coerced power. Now, this is not, this is one that we, we um, some of these things are like our responsibility. Some of these things are just evil done to us. Um, but if we are victims of coercive power, um, it is going to be more likely that we would uh, begin to believe the lies of that coercion, right? Because that's what, what's the enemy do? What does Satan do in scripture? Accuser and deceiver, Right? So, so if we're being deceived by coercive power, um, th- there's a sense that we're going to continue that narrative of deception and believe that and be, be deceived. Um, so we need to be aware of power. Like, we need to be aware of power dynamics. 
Um, we need to be aware of religion and institution and government and, and understand that um, many people have misused their power for harm. Um, and most of us feel powerless. Um, there's a great talk by Diane Langberg. Um, she talks about the cycles of, 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 of uh, coercive power. It's the person of power first deceives themselves, and then they deceive others, and then coercion. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'll send you the whole video if you want it. Also, by the way, um, yeah, that's a great talk. If you want that, I can send it to you. But, um, th- and then you think about racism. Oh, my gosh. And what, what, where, how systemic evil happens is you have every part of power connecting yourself. You have cultural power. And then think about the church's role in racism. The church has perpetuated racism. You have a pastor telling an audience that this is okay or, or being silent about it, um, misusing their power uh, for centuries, um, which, which, as I already mentioned, someone like me has a sense of emotional power and cultural power and verbal power right now in this room. And for centuries, all of those things put together is like an immense amount of power. Um, and so we have to be very aware. Um, third thing, that, another thing that uh, I want to talk about um, that is uh, we have to be very careful not to demonize, but we have to acknowledge the weird correlations. And I'm just learning, um, so I'm a novice. I'm, not, I'm very humbled to you with this, but just learning about trauma. Um, I just want to talk about trauma for a little bit. Um, trauma is the response to any event in war, home, a church, workplace, um, which overwhelms the senses. Uh, it overwhelms the senses, and trauma is deeply disturbing to the psychological, spiritual, and emotional state of, uh, of, a, of a person. And, it, and it comp- what I've learned, uh, again, I'm just learning. I'm not an expert. This is not my field. Many of you would be way more qualified to give this talk. I've emailed several of you just to get information. Um, but trauma compromises the brain area that communicates the physical embodied feelings of being alive. Um, and and so, some have said it's like any sense of being controlled. And so it's like uh, some have talked about it's like a rubber band um, that you've been stretched and pulled and broken. And, and like uh, the, many, of, uh, many people bounce back from trauma. Right? That's the rubber band that we can bounce back, but many people don't. Um, and what researchers are, um, some, one book that's impacted a lot of people in here, uh, The Body Keeps Score. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, but Bessel van Dyck Kolk, I think that's his person's name, his name, right? Um, one of the, he says, one of the results of trauma often is you, you know you did nothing wrong, but you feel like you did something wrong. Like, you know when you're, you know, like, someone's like, did you do, no, I didn't do anything wrong, but you feel like you did something wrong. wrong. And what's, what's crazy is researchers are learning that trauma is, it, we've been, you know, psycho, uh, therapy's great, but we're learning that, like, trauma's kept in the body, uh, that, that, that trauma responds, which I think is just all affirming of all this spiritual stuff, because we've, how much more do we, is Christianity a body um, spirituality, Christianity? Once we, we, we do this all the time. We dance. We lay hands on people. We pray for healing. just affirms how complex and multifaceted we are and how the supernatural world is involved with all this stuff, right? Um, so um, the imprint and mark of trauma um, has, is not just on your mind, but it's on your body, um, uh, whether it was a car accident. So there are a couple of different examples of trauma. Uh, we all have gone through different levels. Um, sexual violation, uh, struggles in marriage can be traumatic. Um, parent-child struggles, job loss, uh, death, violence, uh, illness, injury, homelessness, and abandonment. I could add several others on there. Racial trauma, um, gender trauma. Uh, and, and so the, the deal is what I want to announce to you today is your trauma doesn't define you. 
They're like, your trauma, you can rise above your trauma. Like, have you guys seen the girl that got attacked by a shark in North Carolina? Did you guys hear that story? The girl's dad beat the shark off of her like crazy, which is amazing to hear that often, yeah, a whole other story. Um, one of the ways we, do, we heal from trauma is be healers. Um, so so uh, this girl has no limbs and no fingers, but if you hear her talk, you're like, this girl is amazing. Like, she, she's completely unaffected. She's like, sharks are good. Like, it's not a shark's fault. She's like all happy and just, she's just like not affected, totally, you just, you're like, oh my gosh, how do you do it? And so what, what researchers are learning is that you have, um, uh, you have like people who don't bounce back from trauma, um, people who do, um, and then they have what's called post-traumatic growth. Um, Papa was t- sharing some of this, which means that they, because, not that we would ever wish someone to go through trauma, but they are way more happier and fulfilled after the trauma than they were before the trauma. So I'm here today to tell you that you can be set free in the power of Jesus. We as Christians believe that it's Jesus who sets us free with that power. That he can set you free and you are not marked by your trauma. You are not identified by your trauma. It does not define you. You are not your trauma. You are a child of God. Some of you need to hear that this morning. That like you are a child of God and that the enemy has no command or voice or power on you. He has no authority in your life, and we, com- we command that power and that, that power, that evil power to be cast from here, to go away, to no longer harm his sons and daughters who are loved by Jesus, and to be sent to Jesus, and that you would be filled with the Spirit. That, that is what we believe, that that's what Jesus is doing. And so, again, all this, I'm not saying that all trauma has demonic connection, but I'm saying that the, the evil done to us opens us up to the lies of the enemy. Does that make sense? All right. I'm a, I'm a learner with you. I'm not an expert. All right, but um, a few things. I just want to, um, a few things that, that with trauma we need to, great concern for us. Jesus came to heal and bring justice to those held captive. We must be a caring community and see dignity in people. We have to have a listening ear. We need to be patient, listening, comforting other people, seeing value, connecting people to, to, to feel safe. And we have to refuse to excuse or explain away abusive power as a church. We have to refuse to excuse or explain away any abusive power. Um, and so uh, what, what we see Jesus here, just a few things I want to end with. So what, what, how, do we, how do we get set free? What do we do? Number one is um, I just want to exhort you in a couple of things. Um, you guys cool? Can I have like ten more, seven more minutes, something like that? All right, cool. Um, number one is just name the power against you. Name the power against you. Um, like that's what Jesus is like, what's your name? Legion. Like, the power had a name. Like, name the power that's working against you. What is that? Is it the, the, there's a mysterious power in naming your opposition and putting a name to the opposition. That you, what do I mean by naming? Um, it, 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 like, AA is a perfect example of this. What's the number one step of AA? I'm powerless over my addiction. That's a powerful tool that you name the power against, against you. You have no power to, to change yourself. I'm powerless over my addiction, but I believe in, in, in Jesus, who's, who's my higher power. That's the first step of AA. And I just wish all Christians here would get that. Oh my gosh, I just wish all of us in this room would get this, that we are powerless. This is a hospital. This is a, this is a place for us to, to begin naming um, false narratives, false lies, false identities, beliefs, the powers that, that began to grow like a forest that started as some kind of seed, that then began to grow and grow and grow, and it starts as a seed from the enemy or from the flesh that's planted there. And some of us here are struggling with like self-hatred, 
um, insecurity. Uh, we begin to harm ourselves. Uh, we begin habitual patterns and habits of addiction. And some believe that uh, that false narrative that you can't change that. I'm here to say that that's a lot. That if you have an addiction here today, the idea that you will never change is a lie from the enemy. You can be set free from your addiction. You can be set free. There is freedom in Jesus. Um, so, so name your power, whether it's, it was trauma, maybe it's uh, it, whatever it is. I know for me, um, I used to, the, the, I was very driven uh, to prove myself, very driven out of insecurity. It wasn't until my dad passed away that somehow God like supernaturally like, just released a lot of that power. Now, it does not mean that I'm never like tempted to, to be driven or to prove myself or show that I matter because, because I have insecurity, but the power of that has been lost. Um, that God's, it's been gone. It's been, it's been removed. There's no, there's, so there's power in naming it. Um, so whatever it is, like, I don't believe I'm enough. Like, name that. Like, I, don't, I just don't believe, I, I don't believe I'm enough. I believe I'm too, I'm beyond repair. Like, name whatever it is, the power that's against you. Um, and uh, what happens is when you pull, your, pull that out of the closet, it loses its power. Like, when you can, like, face your demon, it loses its power. You're like, hey, I see you. And you have no power. It loses its power. Um, uh, does this make any sense? Uh, so, um, Paul says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought. I thought, submit those lies to Christ and say, I'm beloved. I'm, I'm the loved one. That's what, what the, the whole insecurity for me, it's like, Man, when we came back from sabbatical, this whole beloved series, it's like, you know what? I believe Jesus, I'm Jesus' favorite. You know, I know he loves you, but he's like, you know, he's got my picture in his wallet. He keeps my artwork, you know. Some of you are like, that's, that's silly. No, that's like the, that's the theology of John. John's like, I'm the beloved disciple. And I'm here to say if every single one of you can't say the exact same, man, I want you to be able to say, I'm Jesus' favorite. I, don't, I know it. I know I'm his favorite. Like, every single one of us would, should walk around with that enormous amount of trust in God's love. Um, and that we, that, so second, um, the second thing I want you to notice in this is, is this is not really a battle for Jesus. Like, the battle's already been won. Did you notice that, like, G, the, the, the demonic is, like, very demonstrative, very uh, screaming, loud? Um, what does Jesus do? Hey, what's your name, man? <laughs> um... Oh, Legion? Okay. Um, he's like, cast us out in the pigs. He's like, all right, you can do that. Like, leave. Just get out of here, man. You're gone. What did Jesus do last week with the storm? Disciples are freaking out. There's a storm. Jesus is asleep. He's like yawning. Oh, peace be still. Storm. <laughs> like, he doesn't have to like show any kind of demonstrative because he already has so much authority. He doesn't need to do all that. He doesn't have to use force or violence. Um, so, so this is not a power struggle for Jesus. The, setting you free is not a power struggle for Jesus. It's, it's, he's ready, willing, and able. The battle's already won. Oh, man, amen. Thank you. I need some amens in this sermon. This is, this is hard work. I'm taking two weeks off after this. And, um, <laughs> some of you are having, like, bad dreams. Um, 
we've, we've got to like demystify this. Because like otherwise, what, I don't know about you, but whenever we start talking about this, um, I feel like we've got to come up with some kind of, you, you see people who are all into this and you feel like insecure, like you've got to have some kind of spiritual gymnastics or spiritual jiu-jitsu. No, like this is really simple stuff that Jesus is doing. I'm just giving you like really simple how we pray, just to equip you. Um, number one, uh, command the enemy to leave. Maybe some of you are having like horrible dreams or whatever it is that's attacking you or command the enemy to leave. It's like evil spirit, leave. And tell it how. Um, leave, you have no place with me. Um, I'm a child of God and you can't harm me. And then, and then three, tell it where to go. And by the way, always send it to Jesus. Just say, you're going to Jesus. Like, I give you to Jesus. Jesus is going to take you. He'll do with you what you want. Um, and Jesus will. He'll, he'll take care of that enemy. And then, la- and then lastly, pray for God to fill you. Um, not just, because if you're just emptied of that, you're going to be filled with something else, right? So pray for Jesus' spirit to fill you. Pray for his spirit to fill you up. Um, third, one more thing. Um, 2,000 pigs die in the making of this story. And as I mentioned, um, this was super connected to sacrifice and false gods um, in their economy. And I just want to throw this out there that their industry um, of consumerism and capitalism uh, is thrown upside down. And I, I just put this out there that when Jesus comes and he's really Lord, like he'll, he'll mess with your wallet. And I think the church has been so blinded by consumerism and capitalism that we, some of us aren't experiencing the power that we want because we, we've, we've been blinded by the enemy in terms of, I am, you know, you've heard the phrase like, um, I think, therefore I am. I think our culture, I buy, therefore I am. That like, if I have it, then I feel like I have this identity connected to it, that we believe that um, it, it blinds us to the gospel of Jesus. Um, anytime we, can, we, we rationalize overconsumption, excessive consumption, I believe Jesus here is clearly connecting the economy with this. Clearly. I, I believe that. Again, welcome to Missio Day. Um, all right, so uh, one, one, more, one more story and I'm going to close. So um, when I first moved here, nothing to like talk about how amazing I am, but um, this, is, this story is not like a success story. It's just I, didn't, I wanted to really uh, practice justice when I moved here, so when I planted a church every Thursday, I called Thursday th- Justice Thursdays. So I would like uh, try to bring communion elements to like homeless people and just listen to their story. Um, and one of these guys that I met, I developed a relationship with, um, but he wouldn't speak. So he's like, he took a vow of silence. So we'd do like text message on the phone, write in the sand. He talked to squirrels. He was a little out there. Um, so, uh, and so we began this relationship for months. Um, and we see each other all the time. Um, he would play flute. Maybe some of you have seen him. His name's Nathan. I found out later his name's Nathan. But what's amazing is um, he broke, he told me, I don't know if he's lying or telling the truth, he told me he broke his vow of silence with me. Like he spoke to me. I just felt super privileged and honored um, after months um, that he spoke to me. Um, and he told me that he realized, like he told me a little bit more about, um, as, a, as a homeless person, the, the moment he started to realize he was being dehumaned. Uh, dehumanized, that when people would begin to see him and look away. And, and so, yeah, he, he talked about uh, just like the oppression of homelessness. Um, and this for, it just, it, 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 I got this picture, this is what I think of with like the enemy. It's just force pressing down on the most vulnerable people. Um, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to find the most vulnerable and weak and begin to press down. That's how the enemy works, to isolate you, to feel like you're alone, to make you feel trapped and to hurt you. 
um, take away things you love. And, um, and so, like, yeah, we don't, we don't need to be afraid of this stuff, but we have it because we have, the last thing I just want to say is we have the authority of Jesus. Um, step into your authority. You have the authority to resist the enemy. And then lastly, totally cutting out a lot of stuff here, but be the liberated and liberating people of Jesus. That we are liberated people. I mean, we, we should not, we, we have such a lukewarm Christianity that we just, we come in here, we do our songs, and it's like, man, this is, no, we are liberated people of Jesus. We are, we are liberated and liberating others. That we can call uh, and press in with authority to resist. We should be proactive and on the offensive, not on the, on the passive. Um, so what is the church if it is not a liberating force? What is the church if it's not a liberating force? We want not just to think about this kind of ministry. We want to experience this kind of ministry through the church. As I read from the very beginning, let me read it again, Isaiah 61. Bind up the brokenhearted. We're here to free the captives, comfort all who mourn, and give them a garment of praise and beauty and joy. And so, um, yeah, just as I close, where, where do you find yourself in this story? Are you the disciples? You're afraid to go to the other side, um, pretty comfortable on this side of the lake, but this Jesus is confronting this demonic person. Um, do you have Jesus of the scriptures or the Jesus you made up in your imagination? Um, second, do you need freedom? Do you need freedom? Do you need to name things that are like strongholds in your life? We want to pray over all of us today. Uh, we want to pray for many of you to, to begin to just say, hey, like we're normalizing this. Um, we're not every single one of us are under attack. Uh, we're normalizing that, and we're going to name our powers that are working against us as a community. Um, so where do you need freedom? Where are you believing the lie? Um, let us pray for you and see you on the road of transformation. And then lastly, maybe you're here, and you have been liberated. We invite you to share your story. Some of you today, maybe some of you others, other days, but we invite you to, like, you've been liberated. Like that, all Jesus wants you to do right now is share that story with other people. You're like, I don't really know the gospel of Mark. Like, but all I know is I was once insecure, but now I'm not. I was once harming myself with this addiction, but now I'm not. You've been liberated. Tell the story. Who cares if you don't know the gospel of Mark? Tell your story. Um, so many of you need to tell your story. Many of you, we need to pray for you.